Hi, this is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. If we had to come up with a proper subtitle for the 11 verses that Adrian just read, we, we would likely come up with something like, Do Not Grow Weary. In fact, some of your Bibles have that subtitle over those verses. Do not grow weary. Don't give in. Don't give up. Don't be disillusioned. You may be facing opposition to your faith. You may be struggling with sin. You may be wrestling with injustice. You may be stretched to the limit. But don't grow weary. Don't give up. It's always too soon to quit. And the narrow road can be bumpy, can't it? And the pain is very real. But the challenges and trials that we face on a daily basis testify to the loving discipline that comes from our Heavenly Father. In a book titled The Problem of Pain, author C.S. Lewis says, God often whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pain. We know that to be true. The Lord often uses trials and temptations, pain and suffering in the application of discipline to get our attention. And as we start this conversation this morning on the Father's loving discipline, It's very important for us to understand that God's hand of discipline may be upon us at times not to spank us, but to stretch us and to open up new vistas, new opportunities, new horizons for the future. You'll see that in a few moments. This passage in Hebrews 12 teaches us how we ought to respond in a season of discipline. And first of all, when you're in a season of the Father's discipline, treasure God's Word. Treasure His Word. The writer of Hebrews says in verse 4, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the shedding of blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary, weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. So although the first readers of this letter, probably written around 70 AD, were were suffering persecution, they were not yet suffering martyrdom. They had not yet resisted to the shedding of their blood. So the message is sort of, times are difficult, times are tough, but they're not as bad as they could be, right? And, And you know that to be true. Things are difficult for you. Uh, You're under all kinds of pressure. You're struggling against sin. There's injustice in the world, all of that. But things could be worse. And then he goes to verse, he goes on to say, my my son, he quotes from Proverbs 3 here. Have you not forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves 
and chastises every son whom he receives. So the author really is reminding us that God is the master designer of divine discipline, and Scripture actually links suffering and sonship. Not only here, not only in Proverbs 3 and Hebrews chapter 12, but elsewhere, we, we, we discover that, 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 that suffering and sonship are linked together. If you're a child of God, you're not going to escape suffering. It's part and parcel of the experience. So then he quotes, he goes on to quote from Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12. So what's he doing? Well, in part, he, he's taking us back to the Word of God. He's, he's pointing to the Word of God. There's, there's discipline. You're in a season of discipline. God disciplines the one he loves. And if you find yourself in a time of discipline, remember what he said. He points us back to the inspired Word of God. And that's always the best place to go. In a time of difficulty or trial or suffering or pain, in a time of discipline, go back to the Word. Go back to the Word. We should take up the Bible and read. And I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. When things aren't going great, you stop reading the Bible, right? When things aren't going great, you stop praying. When, things are, when you're down in the dumps and you, you just feel like a lump of coal... You don't want to go to church. These church people are praise the Lord. It's the last thing I want to hear. So you stay away. And the devil wins. That's exactly what he wants you to do. Withdraw. Get out of circulation. Stop reading. Stop praying. Boom. That's exactly what he wants. It's not what God wants. It's what the enemy wants. In a season of discipline, when things are tough... And there's suffering and pain. We can't understand. Take up the Bible and read. When you're struggling against sin, when you're wrestling with injustice, when you're stretched to the limit, treasure God's Word. Get into God's Word and let God's Word get into you. That's precisely the moment that you need it the most. And because the Bible is the supernaturally inspired Word of God, the Spirit of God can take His Word, can take the Word of God and light a fresh fire in your heart and fill your heart with hope. And promise, don't underestimate the supernatural power of the Spirit of God that, that takes place when you read the Word. The Word is inspired. The Word is the, the actual uh, very words of God. And when you read those words, the Holy Spirit ignites something new and fresh in your heart, and you're off to the races. And it is the Bible, by the way, that says... The Lord disciplines the one He loves. You're experiencing discipline because He loves you. We love the fact that He loves us. We're not so fond of the fact that He disciplines the one He loves. Right? You know now that you're a little bit older, and when your parents said to you, I'm doing this because I love you. you, it's not something you wanted to hear when you were a kid. Like, that just doesn't make any sense. So you're spanking me because you love me? Come on! Now that you're, however old you are, you know that's true. And you've told your kids the same thing. The Lord disciplines the one He loves. It's not punishment. It's not punishment. It's discipline. It's not punishment. It might be tough love, but it's not, a, it's not a penalty that you're facing here. 
Jesus said, in the world, you, you, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I've overcome the world. So in a season of discipline, when you go to the Word, those are, those are the kind of verses you find, and you go, oh, yeah, I am experiencing trouble in the world, but, but my Lord has overcome. And you're strengthened again. You're ready to go for the next day. When you're struggling or suffering or being persecuted or facing temptation or tribulation, run to the book. We ought to be people of the book. We ought to be people of the book at all times, but especially in a time of discipline or time of suffering or time of pain. We ought to be people of the book. Take up the book and read. So when you're in a season of gospel-driven, spirit-focused, grace-infused divine discipline, treasure the Word of God. Get into the Word. Let the Word get into you. In addition to that, when we're in a season of the Father's care, we need to treasure... uh, When we're in a season of the Father's discipline, we need to treasure His care. We treasure His Word and we treasure His care. I'm looking here at verses 7 through 9 of Hebrews chapter 12. God disciplines us because He loves us and cares for us more than we do. He cares more about our welfare and our well-being than we do. Verse 7 says, God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And generally speaking, that's true. Fathers discipline their children. Mothers do too. Look, if if we believe that God is sovereign and, and he does all things for his glory and for our good, then even suffering is not misery nor an accident, it's, it's discipline. And God teaches us some of the most valuable lessons of life through our, the poverty of our earthbound condition. He uses that to teach us. And, and we need to understand something here. We need to just pause for a second and, and understand that discipline is not judgment. Discipline is not revenge. It, discipline is not payback for something that you did earlier in your life. And we know that theologically, right? We know that God doesn't deal with us like that. We know that it's not judgment, it's not punishment, it's not payback. But sometimes it's just hard to get your experience wrapped around that truth. Isn't it? I remember many years ago when when our daughter Jamie's disabilities were diagnosed and, 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 and they gave it a... They gave it a name. They, they, they named the condition that she had, and we, we learned what, what was ahead of us. You know, for a brief moment, I was convinced that this was payback, that somehow God was punishing me for the way I'd lived on the other side of the cross because I'd been such a scallywag and such a drunk and smoking dope and taking advantage of people. I thought God was, well, I shouldn't expect anything anything more than this. That's just, that's just so far from the truth. But it's never very far from our experience, is it? It's just something that we do to ourselves. We punish ourselves. God is not punishing us. God, is, God might be disciplining us, and discipline is not judgment. It's not payback. It's not revenge. The word discipline uh, actually comes from a Greek word, paideia which means instruction or, or teaching or training, paideia. It's, it's the same Greek word from which we, we derive the word pedagogy, pedagogy, the art or science of, of teaching. 
And so discipline is, is actually a tool that God uses to teach us how to become more like Jesus. It's pedagogy. It's the Heavenly Father's form or art of teaching us to be whom He wants us to be. Men and women of God, sons and daughters of the Most High King. Discipline is teaching, pedagogy. Discipline is the training that molds us and shapes us and strengthens us as believers. It's part of God's heavenly discipleship program. So that puts discipline in a little different light, doesn't it? And it's necessary. It's really not optional. It's necessary. Look at verse 8. If you are left without discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Years ago, I had a professor whose name was John Feinberg. John is one of the most outstanding Old Testament scholars in North America. John tells his story of his wife, Pat, who was diagnosed while we were there at seminary She was diagnosed with uh, Huntington's disease, which is a genetically transmitted disease that attacks the brain cells, kills brain cells. And so eventually it also impairs psychological and physical ability. They weren't just concerned for Pat's health, they were concerned for their children. Because when a parent carries the gene for Huntington's, the children of that parent have a 50-50 chance of coming down with Huntington's also. What was troubling to John was that they had no warning that Huntington's uh, was a possibility for Pat, even though her mother had had Huntington's and died from it. They, for whatever reason, her mom and dad decided not to tell the rest of the family what she had. And so John was angry he, he was angry. How could they be so, so selfish and not to tell their own children that mom had Huntington's? He was angry. He wished he had known about all of this before he ever got married to Pat. It, it would have changed everything. And then a little later, he decided that his lack of knowledge about Huntington's was actually a gift from God. John wrote in his book, as I wrestled with this situation, with with what happened, I began to see God's love and concern for us. God kept it hidden because he wanted me to marry Pat. My life would have been impoverished without her, and I would have missed the blessings of being married to her had I known earlier and perhaps decided not to marry her. It was a gift. John said, God wanted our three sons to be born. Each is a blessing and a treasure, but we would have missed that had we known earlier. And God knew that we needed to be in a community of brothers and sisters in Christ at church and at the seminary who would love us and care for us in this darkest hour. And so, John writes, God withheld that information, not because he accidentally overlooked giving it to us, And not because he's an uncaring God who delights in seeing his children suffer. He withheld it as a sign of his great care for us.
maybe God is withholding some information from you too. Not because he's an uncaring God who delights in your pain, but because the Father always knows best. You're looking for answers. You're demanding answers. You might even be looking for somebody to blame. But the Father is training you and teaching you. Opening up new opportunities and new horizons for the future that you haven't even thought about. Why? Because He cares for you. Furthermore, in your struggles against sin and against the world and against the flesh, remember when you're in a season of the Father's discipline to treasure God's purpose. We've talked about His Word. We need to treasure His Word and treasure His care. We also need to treasure His purpose. Notice that verse 10 says, Our earthly fathers disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but He, God the Father, disciplines us for our good that we may share His holiness. Now, just about every earthly father normally does what he believes is best for his children. But even then, even if we're doing the very best we know how to do for our children, we're operating on the basis of, of consensus or opinion or conjecture or supposition or what we've learned from our fathers or, or maybe culturally accepted practices or personal preferences. And lots of times, guys, dads, let's face it, when we discipline our, our kids, it's not necessarily for their good, it's for ours. So they're, they're quiet or they're well-behaved or they don't ruin our reputation or, or, you know, whatever. We do it for our good, not for their good. But, but, but Jesus, in comparison, when Jesus disciplines us, it's always for our good so that we may share His holiness. There it is. That's the purpose. So we can become more like Jesus in the process. That just, that just puts a whole different spin on, on discipline. Also, an earthly father's discipline usually diminishes and then ceases when a child grows up and moves out of home, starts his own family, starts her own family. You know, it's pretty hard to discipline a 41-year-old daughter, right? When she's a mom of three kids and she's got her own career and she's married and, and, and lives in Vancouver. Hard to discipline her. So it, it, <laughs> one mom's kind of laughing there. She, yeah, I haven't stopped disciplining my kids, you know. And they're almost 60. Uh, yeah. The father's discipline never stops, right? Year after year, day after day, moment by moment, he's training us, he's teaching us, he's wooing us, he's bringing us closer so that we might share his holiness, so we, be we become a little bit more like Jesus. Never stops. 24-7. You know, sometimes your, your, the instructions on your medicine bottle say, Shake well before using, right? Well, that's often what God does. He shakes us well before He can use us well. So part of the purpose, part of the purpose of gospel-centered, spirit-driven, 
grace-infused divine discipline is to shake us up and to create a brand new opportunity for God to use us somewhere, somehow, and increase our holiness. Does that make sense? It's what we want, right? That's what we need. Verse 11 says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. No, it doesn't just seem painful. It is painful. <laughs> For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later, later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. I don't know, I've never met anybody that jumps up and down with joy when they're disciplined. Oh, the Lord is disciplining me. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Haven't met anybody that's that crazy. Uh, None of us really jump up and down with joy when we get disciplined because it's painful. It can be very painful, but the promise from God's word is that it yields fruit. It yields fruit, so... Wait for it. Wait for it. If you're patient and you don't quit, you don't give up and you don't throw in the towel, if you wait for it, the fruit will start to form and in time it ripens and then you will have more understanding and more insight into what God is doing than you ever thought possible. So just wait for it. Years ago, uh, dozens of fires scorched millions of acres of forest in Yellowstone National Park. It kind of sounds like what's happening in Australia these days. To many, this was a total disaster. But to former park superintendent Thomas Hobbs, it was not the worst of the worst. Even though the landscape had been ruined, Hobbs said that major fires can actually benefit the park later on. Burnouts, he called them, burnouts rejuvenate parkland. They, they purge it of insect and plant disease and before the natural growth cycle starts all over again. Just like fires in a forest, the, the Father's loving discipline can actually benefit us in the long run. It can actually produce the kind of fruit that brings glory to God and good to our lives. It seems painful for the moment, but later on it yields a, the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And then what in the world do we make of verses 12 and 13? They, they are verses that, that don't seem to fit at the end of this passage. Verse 12 says, Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Drooping hands and weak knees are often symbolic or they're illustrations or uh, signs of discouragement or disappointment or even depression in Scripture. But when you lean into the problem and when you decide you're not giving up, you're not going to throw in the towel, and you lift up drooping hands and you strengthen your weak knees and you make straight, straight paths for your feet, then you're actually providing an example and encouragement for spiritually lame people around you who may not be as far along in the journey as you are, and God uses you, and God uses your pedagogy, and God uses the discipline and, and suffering in your life to bring healing to others. 
I'm absolutely convinced from Scripture and from my own experience uh, uh, after years of ministry that God uses the discipline and the, the, the things that we go through in our lives to bring healing to others. We can't lose sight of that fact. And, and so that, that, that's another good reason why we shouldn't withdraw and shrivel up and become hermits when we're going through a tough time. That's, the, that, that's precisely the, the, the day we need to get to church and open up our lives and share our lives with, with a, somebody else, a brother, a trusted brother, trusted sister who can pray with us. And, 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 but it's also in the, in the broader scope of things, God will use that to bring healing in, in the body of Christ. I mean, how many times have you, have you sat in church and, and listen to somebody's testimony or somebody shares something. And that's right where you are at. Well, that's because they knew it, right? No. It's because God uses those things. God uses those words of testimony, those, those difficulties, those requests for prayer to teach and train and pedagogue you, to train you and instruct you. He will use the training, the pedagogy, the trials, the suffering, discipline in your life to bring healing into the body of Christ. So you can't give up. You, 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 can't, you can't lose heart. You, you can't turn back. You can't give in. And, and you can't stay away from, from church and become a hermit. There's too much at stake here. People need you. People are counting on you. You have to keep running the race with endurance. So treasure God's word and treasure his care and treasure the purposes that he may have in the midst of discipline. And above all, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and then he sat down at the right hand of God the Father, a place of authority and a place of power, from whence he makes intercession for us every day. Even now as we sit here this morning, he's praying for us. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I pray this morning that you will just open up the heavens and let the Holy Spirit fall fresh upon us. That we might all experience a fresh wind and fresh fire blowing through this place teaching us, training us, wooing us to the Father's heart. He's the one who knows best. He knows what we need before we even utter a word. And so we come to you this morning, Lord, and pour out our hearts to you. You're the one that we can trust. You are a haven of rest. You're the source of our hope. You're the rock of our salvation. You are the refuge of grace. And we come now in the name of Jesus with open hands and open hearts because we're desperate for your care. And we want to pray for our friends who are hurting this morning. Bring the healing balm of the gospel to them. We pray for friends who are angry. Bring the calming power of your spirit. We pray for our friends who, who, who only see their sin and their failures and their disappointments. And we pray that you would fill them afresh with the hope that comes from the cross. And we glory, we take our glory in Jesus Christ this morning. We thank you, Lord, that you've opened up a new and living way 
even if that way for us includes discipline, we're glad we're on the journey with you. Pray that your spirit would continue his work in our hearts even this morning as we close this service. And throughout this week, fall fresh upon us, Lord Jesus. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.